Well, hello and welcome to episode 145 of The Cool Room. Uh, we're going to have a really fun time here with the gang from Wolf of the Willows. Uh, I'll shortly be introducing my co-host, Mr. Warren Wu. Uh, but before I do that, let me just remind you that we have a special tasting pack available in our online store, which is on, which is on Shopify. You can go and track that down and enjoy the episode with the beers that we're talking about right in front of you. Uh, it's a great pack. It contains some really nice, pleasant, easy drinking beers. And then, as you'll hear in the podcast, a couple of real whopping beers, uh, which are unique, fun, and very hard to track down other than through our store. Uh, we've got lots of other fun uh, online events coming up soon, so check out our Facebook and make sure you come and join us for some of our In the Flesh events as well. Uh, we're going to be out at Co-Conspirators with a beer that we've collaborated with them uh, on Sunday August 28, uh, and in the not too far distant future, mid-September, we're going to be celebrating our 150th episode down at Bonehead Brewing in Kensington, Melbourne. So come along and meet all the gang on those episodes, and uh, you'll be able to meet my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, who's going to kick us off with our Wolf of the Willows episode. How are you, Warren Wu? Yeah, very good. It's a, yeah, it's, yeah, really, really good. Um... A lot of a lot of things happening in in beer world, and it's it's nice to be able to sit down with uh, sit down with Josh from Wolf in the Willows, who we'll introduce properly in a moment. But yeah, um, uh, as we speak, amongst amongst AFL football Essendon news, there's also um, news on Stomping Ground front where they've uh, they've uh, been sold. I don't know if you heard that. I have not heard that. Yeah, uh, the good beer guy, good beer guys. Yeah. Um, acquired them. Um, I've always loved Stomping Ground, but I've always had that that feeling that they've been they were made to sell, um, which is fine. That's that's part of the part of the process for a lot of these guys. But yeah, it's yeah that I think that news dropped yesterday at some point. Yeah. Oh, clearly I was too busy at the Mick Foley WWE event at the Comics Lounge in Errol Street, North Melbourne. Uh, where we had a very good night, even if the beer selection left something a little bit to be desired. <laughs> yeah, comedy club. Yeah, you wouldn't expect. I don't know. Craft beer is getting into very some very different places, and I suppose that's that's one that, that probably next. It hasn't gone up the stairs at the comics lounge. I can tell you that. <laughs> Why um, don't you introduce our guest, yeah, Mr. Barrow, and let's get things underway. So, Wolf, the, we've got. We've got Josh Kendall from Wolf of the Willows. He's the head brewer there, which is so we're really lucky to have him on. Um, how are you doing, Josh? Doing doing great, thank you. Um, I'm glad there won't be too much more bombers talk. I was <laughs> a bit upsetting last night, but no, I'm doing doing really great on this beautiful day, and I'm happy to be here and go through a bit of a tasting of our of our beers. Yeah, we we are very excited. Um, so right off the bat, the first question we ask is like, so we do have a lot of interstate and international um, international listeners, yeah. um, and even for myself, like Wolf of the Willows is this ubiquitous beer. You'll find a couple in most bottle shop fridges around where where I live. Um, one of the ones that will taste of the Woodsman is always in a fridge close by. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, for those listeners, and even for me, uh, what's the history uh, behind Wolf of the Willows? What, where, whereabouts are you? And and yeah, what give us the flavour of what you guys are about? Yeah, cool. So um, 
I'd, I'd give you a, a bit of a mini tour, but being a Sunday, I'm in the home office at the moment. But um, now Wolfville Willow started in 2014 by uh, Scott and Renee McKinnon. Um, and it's to this day still completely family owned. Um, for a long period of time, uh, sharing a brewery in Cheltenham. Mm. But as of um, late 2019, uh, moved to our own site in Mordialic. Um, which also houses a tap room, uh, which is open Friday through Sunday. Uh, and I guess, yeah, the, the, the goal behind Wolf of the Willows has always been through our, our passion of handcrafted quality ales, um, distinct in character, and hence our sort of slogan, I guess, ales of distinction. Um, and yeah, if you, if you come into the brewery while the tap room's open, we've got uh, a 12 hectolitre brew house uh, that that churns out all of our beers and with some new tanks coming in soon we'll have seven 70 hectares that's 7,000 litre fermenters and four 3,500 litre fermenters uh, so plenty of uh, fermentation space to allow us to continue to grow over the next couple of years as we have done the last few as well so now, not all of our listeners catch the Frankston train line as often as I do, so they may yeah. not know where Morty Alec is. So can you give yeah. people a bit of a feel, especially yeah, sure. our friends in Norway and Israel? Shout out to all of our listeners in Israel today. Yeah, very good. So um, Morty Alec is in Kingston Council, which is, uh, I guess, around the southeast of Melbourne. Um, I guess if you go more south of Morty Alec, you start to hit... Um, Seaford and Frankston and Mornington Peninsula. And we are uh, unfortunately not too close to a train line, but we are just south of the Moravan Airport, so you can fly in if you want. And, uh... <laughs> um, and the, the sort of the area out there has changed a bit in terms of craft beers, hasn't it? There's been a few more breweries popping up over the last five, ten years. Absolutely. We're, uh, we're a bit spoiled in, in southeast Melbourne at the moment. We've got some fantastic breweries. Um, uh, not just ourselves, but you got uh, Boat Rocker, Brayside Brewing, uh, Mr. Banks, Stomping Ground, mm. uh, Dayton. They've got uh, heaps of breweries and also some small distilleries as well. Our friends at St. Felix uh, are also in Mordialic. Um, so I guess while we're on the, uh, the topic of the local distilleries, I should give a shout out to Kingston, uh, Kingston Collective, uh, which is a small group run here in the Kingston Council who have started up the Bayside Beer Belt. Um, and they conduct, uh, well, they have information, but also conduct tours um, of, I guess, 11 breweries and local distilleries in the whole area from basically from Moorabbin through to Mordialic and Frankston. So, uh, it seems up like for, you've shouted out pretty much everyone that you could possibly shout out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, it's been great more, to have you more. on the show, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you again sometime. <laughs> no, there's, there's even more than what I've said, but... Um, it's just fantastic for the community and for anyone who is uh, really keen to to come down to our brewery, but also some of the others in the area. I just yeah, Google Bayside Beer Belt and they, they do tours and it's always a good time having uh, groups come in and see the brewery, drink our beers. Well, that sounds like a very fun little cool room, uh, either bus journey or um, particularly 100%. if they stop past the Morty Alec train station, it's an yep. even better opportunity for us. 100%. Hey Josh, how do you fit in with uh, with the Wolf of the Willow story? How long have you been there? Uh, so I've been with Wolf for just over two years. Yep. I started here mid twenty twenty, 
which was, wasn't a great time for, for anyone. It wasn't a great time for the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very fortunate for Scott to give me a call and uh, invite me down. And yeah, I guess I started there part time during, I guess, the peak of the pandemic and uh, was soon made full time. And then I kicked Scott uh, into the office and I took his role as, as head drawer. <laughs> nice. Um, and we're presuming he's never going to listen to this podcast so that you can say what you like about him. Is that sort oh, of... I hope not. No. <laughs> yeah, he probably will. We won't tag him personally then on any of the social yeah. media related to it. <laughs> I tell him he's doing more important stuff now and I, I just get to do all the fun stuff and the brewery stuff. Good work. We should talk about the beer we're starting with, I suppose, given that we're, we're already 15 minutes into the podcast. Yeah, we're not good at yeah. doing that, but let's, no, let's do it. Doing that. So today we're starting off with uh, well, Dad Lager. Um, after saying after after the all the discussion about um, about owls uh, and <laughs> the willows, Walter Willows focus on owls. We're kicking off with a lager. Um, yep. Dad's lager. I'm a Dad Lager. I'm assuming it's very much for for well our dads who who aren't necessarily um, who aren't necessarily uh, the craft drinking kind of guys. Oh, so, yeah, I'd presumed it was for sort of early or mid nineties sort of light metal fans who remember Disneyland After Dark. Now, there's a band that we don't really? talk about enough. No, no, no. The way I see this beer is it is for all dads, not uh, just for uh, older dads, but um, all dads and future dads and anybody who likes a, a nice clean, nice clean lager. Um, us brewers ourselves, you know, we can't always be drinking big, heavy uh, chocolate cake beers and mm-hmm. easy IPAs. So a nice clean lager um, and cold conditioned and treated with the respect it deserves. I mean, it's it's not just for the non-craft beer drinkers, but it's also can be really refreshing for those who, um, who love craft beer as well. Mm. We so often speak to brewers and they say pretty much exactly the same thing that, you know, lagers are the ones that, you know, yeah. particularly on a, in the middle of summer and, you know, after a hot day in the brew house, this is the kind of thing that they want to be having yeah. uh, on their palates even more so than some of the more exotic and fun ones that, you know, everyone loves for the novelty, but 100%. you can you can crush a few of nice. 100%. Know. Yeah, we, and we, I guess being a, a Father's Day limited release, um, we first brewed it last year, um, and and this year I suppose compared to last year it's a little bit drier, and we just wanted to make a beer that um, is going to be approachable to to all fathers out there, um, not just the craft beer drinkers. So um, yeah, as I said, we, you know we treat it as a lager should be treated. We do cold fermentations, uh, pressure fermentations to try to reduce the ester profile, making it really clean and crisp, and then the cold the cold um, lagering as well. Uh, just looking for that um, clean, crisp lager and the hops uh, using Enigma, which is also featured in our Pilsner. Yep. Um, and then we've gone to a traditional European hop in Mitterfile just to give it uh, that sort of fruity floral edge. Oh. It certainly has all those little elements, but it's a it's an excellently sort of easy drinking beer. Yeah. Well, that's um, the idea as well, you know, as... Today, especially being a nice sunny day, mowing the lawn or sitting back watching a footy, 
Um, yeah. yeah. See, I thought about mowing the lawn, but then I thought it'd be more responsible to get the lawn mower serviced before I start doing the the lawn for the year. <laughs> so I no longer have the lawn mower. That's that's often somewhere else. And I guess until I have time to pick it up, I won't be able to mow the lawn. <laughs> that's um, next month's problem, I guess. <laughs> um. Jacob's thrown in a really nice question into the the chat, and that's one of the great things about joining us online. That you can you can throw in questions, and quite often uh, we get some crackers like this I one. Think, I think birthday boy Jacob Jackson. Oh, really? I think today or yesterday? Today, right oh, here, right now. Go. I think is the gesture he's making in the uh, on the Zoom. <laughs> Happy birthday! Good, good. He's question. eight years old. That's yeah. Great. Happy birthday. Um, Dad, dad to be has asked a really good question. Will there be a mum beer? And if so, what style? Um, this is something we were really wanting to do uh, for last Mother's Day. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't get around to it, but it is definitely on the cards for the next one. Um, and there's a good chance that that will involve all the, the women in our, um, in our company. As well as the community to help choose that choose a beer for that one because um unfortunately us brewers are all we've got four four blokes on the brewing team but we do want to uh allow the the mothers and the women to choose choose a beer style that, that they want that they want to drink awesome yeah that's a good one I that's, like a, that. that's a little 222 sunday afternoon scoop just to get things going <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So there will, yeah. I think definitely in the future there will be a, a Mother's Day beer, whether it's um, I got the availability or the 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 quantity that we brew the Father's Day beer, maybe not as much, but um, still we we definitely like to make something for the mums out there that definitely uh, probably go through a hell of a lot more in conceiving than the males do. So they <laughs> well, I think that's a fair too. statement. I don't think you're going to get too much blowback on that one somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Hey Josh, I thought I might go back to your history. What 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 were you doing before you got to to Wolf? What's the um what's your little journey? Well, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah cool. So I guess the way that I got into into brewing was through hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, I guess, my journey at the Belgian Beer Cafe down on St Kilda Road. Um, so definitely got a bit of a shock when I moved from drinking. Tui's extra dry to triple caramelites and that sort of oh, yeah. that, those sorts of beers. And while I was there, they sort of made the trans, transition into um, less Belgian orientated, more local and international craft beers. Um, sort of splitting my time there and also being a regular at uh, the local tap house in St Kilda, I got a passion for craft beer and decided that I didn't want to just drink it; I wanted to make it. Um, so yeah, that's when I started doing a bit of study uh, online through Siebel Institute of Technology. Uh, spent a bit of time on, uh, I guess, a bit a working holiday in in Canada, uh, where I worked in the tap room at the Whistler Brewing Company, which was uh, a lot of fun and really solidified um, what I wanted to do and get over to the brewing side of the the industry. Um, so yeah, I guess when I came, when I came back. Uh, I got some casual work at Three Ravens. And that was my first sort of foot in the door, uh, helping them on their bottling line and doing some kegging, some cleaning, stuff like that. And then my first full-time job was at Holgate Brewhouse um, a number of years ago. And 
I have a lot of love for Holgate and the, the start to the industry that they that they gave me. It was a fantastic place to learn. They make great beers, and um, some of the people I worked with there have really helped shape my career. Um, Paul Holgate, uh, Nick Sandry, now at Molly Rose, um, and good friends got Alex uh, Alex Carr, who started up Noodle Doof in Kuwait. I was I was going to say we had them on recently, in fact, yeah. and we, it's not that long ago that we had Molly Rose on. I feel like yeah, we. Yeah. Done all the yeah. alumni of late. Yeah, and there's even um, Matt, Matt Ives as well, who's out at Auntie Jackson Ballarat. They're all yep. good friends and been inspirations for my my career as well. So, loved my time at Holgate, but um, I did want to sort of start getting a little bit more responsibility. So I I ended up jumping ship after about two and a half years, and I went to Colonial Brewery um, as a senior brewer there, uh, and again under a lot of guidance of of Ash Hazel, who, um, again, another another person that I, I owe a lot to. Uh, and, and, yeah, so um, I've been there for a while. Yeah, um, we had Colonial on as, the, I think, the last of the, uh, the guests yeah. that we've had. Yeah. Check the archives and check the online store for those beers as well. Good. I like the Brewers family tree that we've just developed there. That's really That's good, isn't it? Yeah. No, I love, yeah, a lot of good friends in the industry that I've been able to work with. Um, but I guess after, yeah, after Colonial, going back to the story, I guess I took a big change and I actually spent a bit over a year working in Beijing in China, wow. um, helping a startup brewery there, um, which was a, a huge uh, challenge, uh, but also a really exciting and, and, and fun experience. Um, and yeah, unfortunately it wasn't, it was the, um, the pandemic that sort of sent me home as things sort of turned a bit sour. and. Um, then I was very worried, you know, mid-2020 when I came back to Melbourne about the shape of Melbourne's industry mm-hmm. and my ability to get work. Um, so very grateful for Scott giving me a call while I was in hotel quarantine in, uh, in Sydney. So did you really sort of come back with no particular plan for where you were going to go and how did that be? No, so um, I guess I sort of knew that that, it wasn't going to work out in Beijing probably early 2020. Uh, it took a month or two sort of um, something like thinking about my uh, what the next move was, whether I try to find something in China, which at that stage was actually looking like they were exiting the pandemic. I know it hasn't turned out that way, but it looked like um, things were opening up when everywhere around the, else, everywhere around the world was closing down. Um, but... I've got a, I had a partner, still have a partner, I should say, here in Melbourne. So um, I thought the best thing to do was to, to come home and and um, just hope that the work came and very fortunate it did. I was going to say, that was probably in retrospect feeling like a pretty wise decision. So. Yeah, uh, as, um, as rough as that sort of period has been in the past few years, there's definitely a silver lining uh, for myself and, and um, my relationship. Excellent. Why don't we start to move on to our next beer? I should say I was—I've been remiss in missing something out. I might have to go back and record a little extra intro. But the uh, the beers that we're drinking this afternoon, the, the lineup that we're having—we're just finishing off on the dad. We're oh. going to move on to the Woodsman Amber Ale, then the First Chair, and then the, the Lark Barrel Aged Imperial. That's uh, right. All... Oh, you've reminded me specific. You told me to specifically remembered to tell our listeners. Pull the beer out, pull the other, the second two beers out of your fridge. 
I'm getting it Warren now. Wu, you're a terrible disappointment to me. I am. You, know, you didn't remind me. It's certainly not my moral responsibility to remember these things. <laughs> but certainly, if first of all, if, you, if you're listening on the podcast, feel free to pause as you go along in your listening so that you can savour each of the beers that you're having. And uh, and again, if you're ready to, feel free to, to pull those other ones out if you're playing along at home. Uh, or particularly with the last two beers, we're going to talk a bit about how they'll change as they're open uh, and as they start to warm up. But I reckon it's just about woodsman time. Warren, mm. do you want to kick us off with a bit of discussion of the woodsman? Because you're right, I think, when you say this is one that we see in fridges around the uh, around the town. It's yeah. one of the iconic beers, I think, from uh, Wolf of the Willows. Yeah, I think so too. It feel, it, yeah, it feels like one of those cans. You, get, you, you know that kind of copper-orange um from from as soon as you walk through the door of any craft beer venue with the fridge you can kind of you see that coppery kind of burnt orange from the front door and it's yeah it's always a nice sight um josh i thought it might be nice for you to give us a walk us through a bit of a tasting of this one like yeah. what, what what are the key notes that you really like about what what is made and, and one of the things i oh know i'll let you do that and then i'll ask one of the questions which which kind of Kind of lingers on my mind about it. Yeah, yeah, cool. So obviously, super important in the style is the color, and that that deep amber is uh, is really what we're going for. Um, and it is important in this beer that it is an expression of the uh, of the malt. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we what we're trying to get here, and what we we like to think we do get, is a uh, a nice mix of biscuit, toffee, and then I would say almost on the back of the palate when you're breathing out. After you swallow it, you've got to get this um, nice caramel honey note coming through as well. Um, and again, though, really important in this beer is its balance. Um, it's not brewed to be really sweet. It's got a bit of dryness to it. And it's got some hop character, uh, some Aussie hop character balancing out the malt sweetness. Um, one thing that I've always, I've always thought, why do you think this beer is is kind of been there for so long it feels like it is almost a flagship um well in in a world where where kind of hops are the king it just seems like that it's been that way for a long long time and hops in all their guises um this one is yeah a real real champion of malt and yeah how do you think that kind of works in in modern craft beer land uh, 100% i mean a lot of uh a lot of the popular styles mm-hmm. here in uh, Australia are, sort of do come from that modern American way of doing things, which is more hops, more fruit flavours. But um, this beer is quite the opposite. Um, really, the, the malt, um, the amber malts, the crystal malts, um, still the show here. I guess um, it doesn't work in every Australian brewery, largely because of the, the climate and the beach vibe uh about around the coast especially new south wales queensland wa it can be quite warm hence why the um sort of pacific ales and the pale ales xpas sort of uh what became super big in australia but down in melbourne um we think there is a a place for this beer and and i guess why the woodsman's done so well because it is such a great example of an amber ale and there hasn't been much competition uh in that in that style um and yeah, we've been super happy with it, and we're really happy with drinkers' too. Yeah, I've got to say the 
the colour of it, and I guess this, you know, it, it sounds almost a bit sort of fatuous to say the colour of an amber ale looks magnificent, but yeah. just holding it up to light just then, and I took a photo, I'll put it on our social media, the the way the sort of a sun comes through it. Yeah. yeah. It's and, just and a beautiful thing to see, and it makes the palate just anticipate what we're going to be tasting. And Josh, it's like when he when Josh held up his glass, he's drinking it out of what almost the same thing that I drink my coffee out of, yeah. and it's exactly the same thing. Like that kind of that that amber kind of that bright amber hue with those really dark uh, dark tones underneath it. It's yeah, it's pretty special. It's like yeah, yeah as, as, I, as I said, a lot, a lot of this color comes from that amber and crystal malt, but. Um, we don't want this. This, this beer is not supposed to be sweet and heavy. It's it's still quite dry and drinkable. Um, so to just to make sure that we hit the colour on the head, we use a little bit of um, carafa, which is just the dehust black malt, and that makes sure that we hit that colour perfectly. So it's a really beautiful in the glass. Mm. Um, I don't know, David. I'm st- I'm struck by the beer. It's really good. No, it's I was in, I was in very much the same boat, and I feel I feel like we're sort of jumping around in the questions here. But yeah, I, I, I wrote a question I don't often write, and then I've almost felt a little bit sort of silly about sort of asking about the the cans and the keg versions mm. of this beer, uh, and it might just be that I think Hardiman's Hotel in Kensington, where I'm often you know finding myself having a beer, do have this beer on tap uh, a fair bit. Yeah. To me, this is, again, one of those sort of great beers to have on tap. And I was just sort of interested to know, you know, how much of it moves in kegs versus tap. And do yeah. you as a brewer have a feeling about, you know, yeah, no, 100%, like um, both ways, but which way do you prefer? We do have a lot of skews that sort of um, a lot of different styles of our beer that veer into one category and into the other. XBA, for example, is very draft heavy, mm. whereas our pup, which is our easy drinking, hazy pale, which should also have those two beers. Yeah, and they're um, in the pack more, as well, so we should have a yarn about those in a sec. Yeah. Much more can heavy, and I, I guess that's because one's a bit heavy, a bit more bitter, it suits the pub. One's a bit lighter and it sort of suits the outdoors. But the Woodsman, to me, I think it's um, it's very 50-50. Um, there's a lot of uh, pubs and restaurants that like to get on it. Mm. Uh, being a seasonal beer, it, it takes a lot of, um, I guess, semi-permanent taps through, from uh, mid-autumn to mid-spring. Um, but the cans, yeah, because the cans go really good as well. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of options in that um, in that category. So those new cans that uh, were printed for the first time last year got that beautiful copper color. It's actually my favorite design that we do. Um, my favorite can. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't think the Woodsman sort of is too much in either either direction, canvas keg. And. Again, you know, t- talking about just that sort of the restaurant element of it, this just strikes me as a great beer to accompany food. Yeah, um, 100%. What would you be pairing with this if you were going um, out somewhere and had a pick of sort of, you know, any... Yeah, Woodsman would go really good with um, with red meat. So um, yeah. steaks, uh, but even like pork and lamb. Yeah, I'm thinking pork. I can... Even like a ragu, like... Um, mm-hmm. You know, pasta with a rich, rich meat sauce. Um, that's probably where I would lean for this for the, for this style of beer. Probably avoid the the lighter foods like the salads or the seafood. I always avoid the salads, so don't worry. You're, uh, <laughs> me too. Me too. You're preaching to the converted there, brother. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it has got that that, and I, I totally agree with the the food matching. Like that that real like 
pleasant but present um bitterness there would really like really help clean it clean the palate in its own way yeah it's yep. a really yeah it's a really fascinating really kind of yeah for this time of year particularly i think it's a great beer yeah um, especially, especially when it's cold but the sun's still out you know it's the cold yeah. is really you know the five degree days where it's miserable you know you might go something heavier like what we're going to try coming up but um that sort of in between weather of, of late autumn early spring this beer just is uh is perfect for this it just feels exactly right for the kind of day that we're having today as a as a brewer you know, you obviously inherit sort of uh, recipes like this when you when you join a brewery, like you did a couple of years ago. Has it changed much, you know, during your time there? And what's it like when you get a recipe of something which is yep. iconic to the brewery? How much do you feel you're allowed to play with it? And you know, yep. particularly now uh, that you've got Scott off in the office, what can you get away with? Yeah, very, very good question. Um, yeah, of course, I did inherit this core range, which is still. Uh, still going today, the XPA, IPA, Woodsman, JSP, and there have been some some minor changes in, say, the XPA and the IPA, but nothing that really uh, changes the, the essence of the beer. It's probably more um, trying to bring all those best characters out and making sure that they um, that there's more clarity around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Woodsman, uh, however, is probably the one that hasn't changed at all. Um, mm. It just uh, we did uh, we did make a move from um, from our base malt, but th- that was more the new base malt probably would have lightened the color a little bit. So we just sort of tinkered with the um, the dark the carafa just to make sure we were hitting the same color. Um, but otherwise, now the, the wood's been probably the one that hasn't hasn't changed in terms of its in terms of anything else. Can we nerd out a little bit there on on how you do adjust for colour and so forth? Because yep. I guess a lot of people who might be newer to the craft beer scene think, oh, there must be sort of one grain, maybe two grains. One gives you colour, one gives you flavour. Yeah. But there's all sorts of things you can do there, isn't there? And yeah, hundred percent. So, so with pretty much every beer style, there is a base malt which would take um, usually eighty to ninety-eight percent of the grain bill. Um, and for a long time, we were using an ale malt, um, which again brings out probably a little bit more of that biscuit malt sweetness. Um, and we, at one stage, we, we sort of shifted to a paler malt, which um, was going to allow for most of our, a lot of our beers are probably hop, hop driven. So allow the hops to shine a little bit more. Um, so with this one, particularly because the color is is so important. The JSP, you know, black is black. Yeah. Um, Lago, you know, that's fine. But with this one, hitting the color on the head is so important. Um, so just small changes to Carafa, which is the malt that we use solely for color. Um, that was really important to adjust that to hit the right spec. Um, but of course, there is, as you were saying, other malts that we use in this beer, the amber, the crystal, that um, that contribute to colour, but more to the flavour and the mouthfeel of the product. What do you think, David? Would now be a nice time to have a short break uh, and then we'll move on to the next two beers? 
And while we take a quick break here in the live Zoom room, uh, a quick reminder, if you haven't already followed us on Facebook and Instagram, please do so, so you can hear all about what we've got planned for the future. And of course, subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Two great ways to help us out here at the podcast, along with buying beer from our online store. Back to the show. Well, welcome back to Collingwood Fans Are Us. No, it's not that at all. It's a, it's a big day in local football here in Australia. By local football, I mean the AFL, which is our national game. Apologies to all of our Queensland listeners who don't agree with that summation. Uh, let's just move right along before I dig that hole any deeper. Uh, we've got a couple of magnificent beers. We've had them out of the fridge for an hour or so uh, that we're going to talk through here with Josh from Wolf of the Willows. Uh, we're going to get underway next on the first chair. Warren Wu, you're ahead of me. You've opened it. You've got your beak in there having a good oh. sniff of it. Why don't you lead the way on this one? Yeah, it's. Well, I'm just going to handball it straight to Josh. Josh, what are we yeah. drinking? This is, this is uh, you. Well, actually, the great thing about this beer is as soon as I stuck my beak in, I thought coffee stout. It's, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's got that delicious coffee flavour just punching jumps, in the face. Jumps out of the glass, doesn't it? Or yeah. the mug. Um, yeah, we, well, we brewed this beer initially to celebrate the um, the start of the ski season. Yeah. Uh, been a very interrupted ski season the last few years. And so we, we brewed this early winter um, sort of, and then hence the first chair, uh, first chair up the mountain. Yep. You've got your coffee stout, bre- breakfast stout ready to go. Um, I, I I should say I got a few glasses here to taste some of the beer out of, but um, I think there's no better glass for this than my common folk coffee mug. Oh, that's a that's brilliant. <laughs> that way, nobody knows if you're drinking. Yeah, totally. You could but, you um, could go on some sort of panel show on TV where it looks like you're drinking coffee, but actually, yeah, 100%. Um, by, by some, I mean pretty much every single. TV panel show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, for this beer, like, the, the, the base behind it, basically, was a breakfast stout. So, um, percentage of that milk milk means you've got a fair bit of oats in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even use a little bit of lye as well. Um, and it needs, for us, what we wanted to be drinkable, so not too heavy. Uh, and then the coffee sort of jumping out, being front and center, um, thanks to our good friends at, at Common Folk. Give, give Common Folk a, a proper plug here. Tell us a little bit about their story, if you know it. And, yep, you know. yep. Um, I guess I can't too, say too much about how they started, but they're, um, they're a fantastic coffee roastery down in Mornington, based mm-hmm. in Mornington. And they have a few um, of their own cafes around town. There's one in South, uh, South Melbourne, uh, another one in Frankston, which I go to a fair bit. Uh, and they make some of the – they roast some of the best coffee uh, going around, a mm-hmm. regular – of their coffee, and so is a lot of people uh, that, that we work with at the Willows. Um, so yeah, we're a big fan, we've got a good relationship with them. Um, and similar to us, they love collaboration, uh, and they have a strong focus on quality, integrity, uh, and pushing boundaries as well. I love it. This is delicious. I made a point of not having a second cup of coffee this morning so that yeah. I could drink this one without sort of worry about how much caffeine was going to be in my in my system today and particularly on the nose mm. uh, that coffee is just coming through amazingly well, yeah, well and, for, sorry, for this 
I'll just uh, quickly mention the, the coffee that they used. We were speaking to them a fair bit about what was going to be the best coffee for this sort of beer. And we both sort of agreed on, the, on an espresso roast. Um, mm -hmm. But then they offered up a um, Colombian bean uh, from a grower called Diego, um, yeah. which is someone they work a lot with. Uh, Diego, uh, I think recently, or 2021, he won the World Booster Championship with his, uh, with his own grown beans out of mm -hmm. Colombia. Um, so they offered us this bean, and we just think it's just so perfect with this sort of breakfast stout. Yeah. Um, gives it the right amount of coffee, the right amount of um, uh, yeah, hints of citrus and dates as yep. well. Um, so, yeah, big pops to, to common folk for coming up with the goods. Absolutely. The thing that strikes me, sorry, Warren, I was talking across you a bit there, but what strikes me about this beer is that even though it's a, a coffee stat and breakfast stat, it's not heavy or syrupy. No. Mm. It's, you know, light and drinkable. Yeah. As much as a breakfast stout is ever really going to be drunk at breakfast, but you know, it's it's that sort of it's not a thick sort of dessert version of a of a yeah. coffee stout at all. Yeah, that's what we that's what we go for. Like for me, um, ignore all the guidelines, but if the stout's going to be called a breakfast stout, then it's something you're going to want to drink for breakfast. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the, the oats and even the rye provide us a fair bit of creaminess. Mm -hmm. uh, without it being ending up too sweet or too heavy. Yep. It's and yeah, it, oh, the dryness is terrific. That's why yeah, I'm totally with you there. Like it's got a beautiful weight and the yeah. dryness just just makes it more Moorish in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, like uh, in similar, I suppose, sweetness can yeah. for some stouts. That dryness just wants you to yeah. keep on putting it in face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um in terms of like finishing gravity for the, the, the home brewers out there, it's finished quite high compared to the, I guess, the, gu the guidelines for a breakfast stout. Mm -hmm. But um, just that balance of, of hops and, and roasted malt and coffee, it sort of it allows it to go through without actually weighing, yeah. weighing it down, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think, I think you, when you were mentioning on the, on the website, it sort of talks about some of those sort of, flavors that you should be getting from the coffee but how do you make sure you don't lose those flavors when you're adding them when do you add the coffee into the brew and talk an important you thing wants that in, in making sure we get uh, a lot of these great flavors out is for one using the slightly darker roast as opposed mm -hmm. to the lighter roast which would get lost in a dark beer um light roast might be fantastic in a pale in a pale coffee beer or a sour or coffee pale ale but um when you've got a lot of um bold flavors coming from the stout itself uh you need a, a coffee that's roasted to be able to match that mm. um and then when we use it we use it in uh in the conditioning phase so when the beer's already cold uh similar to how we would a, a cold brew um in the past uh i and with this beer i found that the whole bean works the best in limiting um any sort of astringency or bitterness coming from the coffee yeah. Mm. And um, as opposed to like previously, um, I basically done it like a tea bag or, mm. or up the top. But with this one, we tried something different and we used our hop gun. Uh, we put the coffee beans inside the hop gun. So if, if we don't know a hop gun, basically it's a vessel uh, where you put the usually hops, but in our case, coffee beans in. And you push the beer from the tank through the hop gun. It circulates all through the coffee beans. Mm -hmm. uh, extracts a lot of uh, flavour from those coffee beans and aroma 
and then it's um, it goes through a little filter and back into the tank. And the idea basically is to to have it spinning for long enough that the whole tank uh, passes through that um, passes through the coffee beans. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, what we did. Enough, this. We I, had I don't I don't think we'd heard about hop guns until we had yeah. Colonial on yeah. uh, last week, yeah. and we asked them what their favourite bit of kit was. Yeah. And Michelle uh, said it was the it was the hop gun. Is really? this just something that from there is spreading around the Melbourne brewing scene? There you and- go. That shocks me because I hate the hop gun. But uh, <laughs> um, oh. so why? No, no, hold on. Let's dig into that. Why? Yeah, why? why I, I love be- the cop- I love the hop gun for stuff like this: coffee, uh, cocoa nibs, uh, herbs, stuff like this. But for dry for dry hopping technique. Um, I've always had better results or in terms of like a blind sensory test, I've always had better results from dry hopping from the from above, uh, the old traditional way. Um, and dry hopping from above takes about five minutes, whereas the hop gun, the, the cleaning cycle, sanitizing, the process of spinning it, then the cleaning afterwards, it can take four hours to, to dry hop a tank. Um, so and it's messy. It can be really messy and fickle uh, with hops in particular. So for me, we uh, and the Wolf of the Willows, we love to use the hop gun for this sort of stuff, for coffee beans, cocoa nibs in um, like a s'moresman and stuff like that. But that's uh, basically what the only thing it's used for. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. yeah Even great. fruit. Like you can, you can cut up fruit, put that in the hop gun. Then you've got beer moving through it with velocity, you know, picking, pulling out those flavours. Um, before yep. returning to the tank without any um, pulp or skin or anything ending up in the tank. Sure. That's really interesting. I think so, it's, it's a fascinating yeah. contrast. Truly go back and listen, uh, if you listen to the podcast version, obviously, to the to the previous episode where we had a long conversation about the hop gun and um, a number of jokes along the lines of Corey's uh, reference to Kiss's love gun, and that's all. We're not going to re- we're not going to revisit that. You have to go back and listen to the uh, colonial episode to to get a full briefing on that. Um, yeah, perfect. I'll have to listen to that. I'll I'll uh, I'll dump. I thought now would be a nice time to dump Josh into the uh, into our traditional cool room question. Um, and we love this question with particularly with people with a hospo background because. Generally, they would have seen a few things in a cool room that are a little bit uh, beyond what what is often seen in a brewery, I suppose, or a brewery set. So, um, Josh, what is the most weird, confronting, amusing, strange, gross thing you've seen in a cool room? And, of course, we're quite broad to cool room. I mean, you know, the brewing yeah. venue is a cool room. The whole of yeah. a hotel is effectively a cool yeah. room. Cool. Well, if we're talking like just to start with cool room in general, I've been quite lucky to to work in places that have had pretty good maintenance on their cool room. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some horrible stories within the industry of blowing up kegs and stuff like that. We're um, all about the horrible stories here, and feel free to identify, me. you know, where it is. If you do have a horrible story for us, we will presume it's none of the venues you have mentioned or currently. No, 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 no. So the the keg was just the the blown up keg was just sort of. A rumor through the um, well, the rumor might even be in the news, but nothing to do with anywhere I've worked before. But it's a scary thought. Um, mm. There's a lot of pressure on kegs. Um, I'm assuming it was probably a, a one-way plastic keg. Yeah. 
Yeah. But um, it's a scary thought. But the problems I have with a lot of cool rooms is the um, the lack of cleanliness, the dirty beer lines, the mold. Uh-huh. The mold probably the one that just sort of, as a brewer, we, we work so hard to maintain cleanliness and sanitation. And um, we sort of, when we package beer, we're packaging and we believe that it's up to a certain standard. So when you see a, a cool room, um, beer lines or not beer lines that's got mold around, it's sort of uh, a bit disheartening. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like I guess, in terms of a brewer, in terms of a broader uh, brewery, I guess um, I had seen again not not where where I've been working. Um, mice mice around grain is always has been a problem, and there's lots of um, oh, yes. steps that breweries take to make sure there's no mice around grains, but. I don't little... think we've ever had a mouse story. No. <laughs> 150 episodes in. It's, a, it's an incredibly sensible thing that you say. Yeah, 100%. Like they, mice go after grain and, and every every single brewery has uh, a process and an uh, anti-pest. Is this process and all of this kind of talk really just code for a cat? No, 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 no. Well, we um, oh, we need to install a new process to deal with it since mittens died. (laughs) Now we've got socks. It's okay. Um, but no, seeing seeing in one brewery, um, not Wolf of Willow, it's completely unnamed, is uh, a little family of baby mice. Um, oh, and it's always very sad to think. What do we have to do? We move them outside, but we also have to, um. Make sure they don't come back in for the don't grain. Come back. Yeah. yeah. Not Wolf of the Willows, 100%. But I'm not going to say who, where it was. But um, it's, it's always pests is a challenge every brewery is faced with. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that's that's probably probably the strangest and the, the, um, yeah, the, the wildest thing I've seen. I, I'm. Um... I, I don't know about cat, David. I'm more of a python sort of guy. <laughs> like it's got, you know, and it's got that's got branding potential there. I'm, I'm with you. I understand where you're coming from. I just, I guess, you know, if I was the first one in in the brewery in the morning and working by myself, I'd feel a lot more comfortable, you know, seeing the cat. <laughs> With the, cat. the brewery with me, than wondering where the python was until, <laughs> and you know, one on one, I, I reckon. I'm not saying I'd fare well, but I, I wouldn't die from a cat attack. I'd like to think. <laughs> oh, I don't know. They can be pretty vicious cats. Yeah. <laughs> well, I still take my chances with the cat rather than the python. That's all I'm yeah, really true. going with here. Yeah, yeah, but you know, we're bringing back the excitement in. In craft brewing. <laughs> well, there's a long tradition of cats in grain stores. Uh, for those who are from the Flemington and North Melbourne part of the world, uh, if you ever drive past the Reese's Plumbing Store on Macaulay Road, which was once a grain store until people crashed planes in it and died. It was a tragedy, <laughs> just to be clear, during an exhibition uh, out that way post-World War II, I think I'm right in saying. The cat survived, and that was a point that they had in the local newspapers. My son did his project on that a couple of years ago. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Warren, I feel like I have 
steered this ship into a, uh, a vortex, <laughs> even more so than we normally do. Yeah. Uh, I am loving this beer. I am too. I'm yeah. conscious of the time and that we we're going to set a cracking pace. Uh, and I'm going to enjoy coming back to uh, this one as it opens up a little bit more. We'll talk about that perhaps in a second, but why don't we just have a little bit of a taste of the Lark uh, distilled uh, or Lark barrel-aged Imperial. You want to start the way off with that. And um, Josh, I'm really interested to hear how you think both change over time. That would be something we don't want to miss out on as well. Yeah, no, 100%. This is a, it's a very special beer that um, I guess with the inception or the birth of the Lark barrel-aged Imperial JSP was uh, five years ago. Mm-hmm. The fifth release. Um, so it's a very special beer uh, to the brewery. It's, it's one of our um, one of our one of flagships, the right word, but it's got a big cult following. Um, and the way it, it sort of changes over time, um, both like fresh with the recipe, but also how it ages um, in the cellar. It's a pretty special beer. Um, how do you? All right, so. I don't know. If, I can't remember, David. And this, you, you're, you're. Hopefully, you remember. Um, we've had another brewery use a lark barrel recently. I'm desperately trying to remember who it was, and they maybe it was noodle. Maybe it was noodle doof, but they sold the whiskey out of the. They sold the whiskey. Well, it was a full barrel. They had the full barrel. And it actually had the whiskey in it. And they sold the whiskey prior to to using it for beer. Did you guys do that? Well, what was the process of getting a lark barrel? Well, I guess the lark barrel, like, again, the whole relationship started five years ago um, when Scott and, oh, I can't remember whether it was the head distiller or just the um, a representative of lark, having a few boilermakers mm-hmm. at a bar in, uh, in Tasmania. and then. Um, the whole idea of the collaboration and making the best beer and whiskey um, for each other, but also by each other, is um, the idea came about. Um, we don't receive barrels that are full of whiskey, but when we do receive the barrels, they are still dripping wet in whiskey um, and they're fresh, and we fill them uh, as soon as as soon as we can after receiving them. Mm. Uh, the, the first couple of years was probably. I think it was only uh, two or three barrels. These are 100 litre barrels. Um, and they were handpicked by Scotty. Um, I think the, the key criteria there was the, the body and the flavour of the whiskey that was inside the barrels. Um, and, of course, the integrity of that barrel itself. Um, but now, since this, this um, beer has grown so much, we use anywhere between... Um, 20 and, and 45 barrels for a single batch. Mm. Uh, we put a we put a lot of um a lot of uh belief in uh, the Lark distillers and team to select us the um the best whiskey uh best barrels having the best whiskey in them that are going to give us um the, the flavor profile that we're after. So for we've often spoken to a whole bunch of breweries who do uh, use um, second-use barrels from from all sorts of whiskey processing. The I don't know, um, like oh, who's recently was uh, fortified, like all port barrels. 
what's the process for you guys to actually get the finished product? Like, so, so assuming you brew an imperial stout, and th- well, in my head, brew imperial stout, throw it in, let it sit for a while, and then ta da, you've got a barrel aged stout. But what is the, yeah, for you guys, what is the process? Is that it? Is that the. Yeah, well, well for, for both of our imperial barrel aged uh, dark beers, the, the Lark uh, Imperial JSB and our persistence Imperial Rye Stout, aged in gospel bells. Um, they both, when we brew them, they go through a process called reiterated mashing, uh, which is when we um, we take the second word or um, the second word from the mash, and we use that as the uh, the mashing in liquid of the post water. Um, by doing that, we utilize um, all of the sugars in the grain instead of letting the the last runnings go to go to drain, mm-hmm. um, and we ended up with a really concentrated wort, uh, really dense, full of sugar, and with uh, really full bold flavors coming out of it as well. Yep. Um, and when we do these these brews, and they go into our um, three thousand five hundred liter tanks, it takes five turns of the brew house to actually fill those tanks, as opposed to when we do a normal brew of our XPA or whatever, it just takes two. Um, so a three-day process as opposed to a one-day process. Um, yeah, they then fully ferment in uh, in stainless steel and they condition to remove the yeast and then they spend anywhere from six months to 12 months in barrel. Wow. Uh, I guess the really special thing about um, about this Lark version, those Lark Imperial JSP, is that after six months uh, we will empty some of these barrels um, and send those barrels back to Lark, and then they will condition a whiskey or the final conditioning stage of a whiskey in those barrels that are still soaking with beer with, with Imperial JSP. Wow, and they will release a whiskey or a wolf whiskey, they call it. And um, so the beer that we've taken out of the barrels finishes its maturation in stainless and then gets blended back with the other barrels. Mm-hmm. And we release that in winter at the same time as the uh, as the whiskey. So you'll find there's there's five beers uh, today, and there's also yeah. five whiskeys. Oh, that's incredible! I think yeah. it's a, I, I love that synchronicity of the two mm. sort of feeding back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we call it our barrel exchange project. So they'll send us beer, they'll send us barrels dripping in whiskey. Will I age the beer in it? empty the barrels and we'll send them the barrels back dipping in beer and they'll condition their whiskey in it for one final step and then they're both released together. Um, this last year, last year we came out with these packs. This is uh, last year's, uh, last year's well, uh, JSP and last year's whiskey in a 100 mil bottle. Um, wow. And you, can, you, you can buy these separately for the, for the, this year's version, but not in the pack. Um, and again, that was just the idea of making the best boiler maker, where the whiskey um, has has character of the beer, and the beer has quite character of the whiskey. Um, Damo in the chats just said, uh, "Yeah, Josh, do a boiler maker." And more at <laughs> the same time as you were talking about the boiler maker, so you're all and, uh, <laughs> crack open this bottle. This is kept for a special occasion. This, this is last year's whiskey, and this one, this one. And when I was talking to Chris, who is the head distiller of Lark. He actually said that this was the best whiskey he's ever made. This um, IV, the wow. last year's version. You can still get it. 
Yep. Um, he said if he was to retire and have that as his um as his top whiskey, yep. he would um he'd be very happy man. So I'm keeping that for a special occasion. Love it. That's awesome. And obviously you can't get that anymore. Obviously it's well. No, you can. You can still get oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I think you can still buy it. You can still buy the packs at Warp. Yep. And on Lark's website. So um yeah, like as the whiskey's not gonna go bad. The yep. beer has a long shelf life and ages beautifully. So um definitely one, you know, again, Father's Day coming up or uh, <laughs> or your own special treat, why not? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Had well, a, um, have you got an occasion lined up for them? Have you got something in your head where you think they'll get? I a... do. I do. Uh, maybe um, I'm getting I'm getting married in February, so um, I might have to crack it open with the groomsmen uh, before our wedding. Oh, that's yeah, that's pretty. Or, or just after the wedding as well, because sometimes it's <laughs> to remember those days and times. It's true. These and these uh, these wolf releases of whiskey, they do they are cask strength. They're about fifty six percent alcohol, so they're quite heavy but if we're splitting a 100 mil bottle between four people maybe it's just enough to take the edge off and yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true all right so i've got this i'm steering this ship right into the reef so we're, we're going all right so have you picked your groomsmen <laughs> <laughs> i don't want a guernsey i'm just wondering <laughs> i got a couple of my um couple of my best mates i got my brother as well and my um my future brother-in-law so they're very um Oh, yeah, Very yeah, excited for the day. Yeah, great, great. <laughs> are they craft beer and whiskey people? Um, most of them are craft beer drinkers. Yeah, so, great. Um, and if, if I tell them to appreciate the whiskey, they will appreciate it. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, the bit that I was wanting to ask as well, sort of related, is you're talking about how some of the beers are removed from the barrel six months in, yeah. and presumably some others run for that longer mm. length of time. Yeah. Is there any sort of sampling you do of the barrels along the way until you go, oh, this is cherry ripe and we want to take it? Or is it just, no, no, it's the 31st of September yeah. and that's the right, that's the so, day we so we've been out. We've been doing this beer for five years now, so we've got a pretty good idea of how, how they age in the barrels. Um, and they do get a quite a long, like for the size of the barrel, being 100 litres, they're mm. quite small. And so that, yeah, more contact area with the surface of the barrel, meaning they don't really need to be in there for too long. But the beer ages really well in them. It doesn't um, over-extract too much oak or, or too much vanilla or anything like that. Um, so we're usually very, we're very happy for it to, to sit in there for six to 12 months. Um, but we'll sample them every three months. And if we need to, we'll top up the barrels as well. Um, and yeah, usually, yeah. From, from experience, we're, we're happy with uh, with how they go at both six and twelve months, and the blend is usually um, spot on. Dude. And again, like this, this changes year to year, and some of the minor differences you might get between an IV and a V version is um, the percentage of time that's spent in six months, percentage of time that's spent in twelve months. Um, those subtle changes we sort of embrace. In the, uh, in the end product. We don't want it to be identical every year anyway. Can I say something? This is one of those risky things you say when you start to talk about beer with a brewer that I might say something that is now going to be completely wrong, but I'm finding as it warms up, even from what it was at when I opened it, that I'm getting more of those sort of initial flavours of what I think is the J- the, the base beer, the JSP. Can you talk yeah. about what the, what that beer tastes like 
before it goes in and yep. what we should be sort of, you know, tasting out of that Definitely if we get the two next to each other. 100%. When it, when it first goes in and and um, we've actually got it fermenting in ta- next year's fermenting in tank as we speak, um, it is probably more robust. It's more bitter. It's more roasty. And it's purposely brewed that way so that when when it's time to release it, which is 12 months after we brew it, it, it mellows to the what we believe to be the, the perfect time for drinking. Um, that's not to say it's not going to be um, just as just as perfect uh, another 12 or 24 months in the cellar, but um, the change the flavor does sort of change um, over time. Uh, so yeah, the time in barrel we expect uh, a bit more sweetness to come out. We expect the roast to to mellow the bitterness to mellow um, and for the whole beer sort of to guess to become a little bit more unified mm-hmm. um, and for the flavors I guess to blend together um, a little bit more in sync and for that additional oak uh, whiskey I think we get plenty of whiskey out of this beer as well mm-hmm. uh, vanilla and molasses those flavors all sort of come from the barrel as well and the smokiness like I'm still that's where I'm that's what I think that I'm thinking comes from my memory of the JSP. I don't yeah. have it next to it today, but yeah. that bit being more of the, the smokiness of the porto rather than the... Yeah, yeah 100%. I mean, um, they've got, I, I think, pretty much the same percentage of smoke malt in them compared to the regular JSP. Um, I think with this one, you're just getting a lot more big and bold flavours and a lot more from the oak. Where sometimes the smoke, I guess, with all of those big and bolder flavours, the smoke can take a little bit more of a backseat. Um, and we're quite happy for that to happen. Um, but yeah, it's probably the, the, whereas the regular JSP is quite smoke forward, this one, all the flavors sort of come into unison a little bit better. Not better, but differently. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly feels like it's doing that. And, um, you know, I think it's a it's an amazing beer. I'm looking forward to going back and tasting the second half of my can of the of the first chair in a minute. How do you reckon that one will have changed? Does it sort yeah, of well, in there in the glass? This is something I really love about high alcohol beers and barrel aged beers is how they can change from when you pull them out of the fridge at three degrees, and then when you finish drinking it at sometimes fifteen plus degrees. Um, the colder temperatures, you'll probably get more bitterness. It'll probably taste drier. You'll get more roast. As it warms up, the, the sweeter flavours come out. The malt is expressed a little bit more clearer. The, um, the sweeter flavours of what I like to describe as molasses or brown sugar, um, they come out. Uh, and the roast sort of tones down a little bit. So that sort of evolution while you're drinking it and, and as it warms up in your glass is part of the experience of drinking these beers. Absolutely. I, that's one of the most fun bits of it, I think. And, uh, you know, particularly for wine drinkers who don't understand at times why, well, first of all, beer costs what beer can cost for a really fun, you know, beer that is made through a lot of techniques and takes a lot of time to mature. Yeah. Uh, but also just for other wine drinkers who go, you know, why can you talk about beer for so long? It's mm-hmm. examples of beers like this that really yeah. explain, you know, why yeah. it is. It's the... It's been a fun journey we've been on today from the lagers and those sort of early ones, which is really just about the beer you want to crush when you've knocked off on a hot day, through to things like this, which you can savour and talk about over a long period of time. I 100%. And 
I remember one of my first experiences of of um, this sort of big beer and how it changes. I remember um, Sierra Nevada, um, I think it's Bigfoot, the American barley wine. And I remember cracking that open. I straight out of the fridge, it was almost like a triple IPA. It was really bitter. Um, the more you sit on it, the sweeter it becomes, the more it starts tasting like a cake or a biscuit and the sweet yeah. flavours come out. And it's a little bit reminiscent, I guess, of all of our sort of journeys, how you, you start thinking that, you know, IPAs are so bitter. <laughs> and then you, you get used to them and you're like, oh, you thought that bitter. <laughs> it's a progression, I guess, on the palate, so. Absolutely. And a good reminder before I throw to Warren Wu to go through our audience questions of going back and finding, well, I think we've got about now five episodes tucked away with Sierra Nevada, but particularly the most recent one where we talked through some of their barrel aging programs Mm. and um, some pretty amazing beers and fun things that they're doing there. Did you like that segue, Warren? I did like that segue. segue. That was excellent. Yeah. I actually didn't. I honestly, I've seen one one episode of yours of Sierra Nevada. I didn't realize you had a whole number. That's great. Yeah, we've been we, really lucky over years. Yeah, we've been hugely lucky. And they're great. They're really they're they're generous in a really, yeah, proper way. Like they're 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 not like for, compared to our breweries, they're massive. They're yeah. just massive, but they're still so generous and thoughtful with their time. It's really great. Yeah. I've got to yeah, I've got to say, you know, you're absolutely right. I was I was gonna let you just wander off with that thought, but for our good friend Owen, who happened to be at Beer Deluxe with us a month or two ago, just when we were doing our Sierra Nevada episode, he's off to Chico, California. They're going to shout him some beers just oh, on the wow. basis that he happened to be, you know, at the restaurant that day when we were recording it. Um, I'm incredibly jealous. How come it's my mates who get to go out and do all this kind of stuff? While Warren Wu, you and I are going to be in sunny Flemington. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, <laughs> oh, damn, Owen uh so let's let's kick off with some audience questions um we did have an order organized but i'm going to reverse the order because we've had that discussion about um barrel aging uh and damo's question sounds quite appropriate for the moment so yeah damo you want to hear us up with your question unmute yourself and hit us up with your question hey josh just a question i know we've spoken about belgian beers before and lambics and bits and pieces and you've obviously got some uh, blending program with your darker beers and clean beers. Uh, any future for a dirty beer program in barrel with Bretomyces and stuff like that that we love? Man, I would, I would absolutely love to. Um, I was uh, had a sort of started when I was at, at Holgate. Um, I was there for the first releases of the the Sour Brett Ale and the Wild Red Ale. Um, and I learned a lot uh, through Nick Sandry and Paul Holgate in wild barrel-aged beers. And then I sort of um, helped kickstart the program at Colonial. Um, and I think last year they released a uh, wild brown ale, which was really good too. So I, I there's a place in my heart for these beers, these wild barrel-aged wilds. But um, at the moment, we don't really have the facility at Wolf of the Willows to do them. Um, that doesn't mean we might not have some barrels stashed away. Oh. Um, but uh, for the for the meantime, it's more of um, we would need to we would need to um, find the right ways to do it in our in our brewery to make it safe um, and sanitary away from the the rest of the brewery. And when you say safe, safe, do you mean safe? Yeah, sorry, do you mean yeah. safe for the brewery? As yeah, hundred percent safe. Safe for, safe for the other beers. You know, we don't yeah. want any sort of cross contamination. 
And although, you know, at, at, at the previous breweries, I don't have experience in being able to manage that sort of environment. I guess now as head brewer, there's a bit more <laughs> weight, a bit more uh, responsibility. So um, not saying it's never going to happen, but uh, not just yet. There we go. Fascinating. Um, I think Jacob could probably ask his question next. And it's nice. Yeah, I think that's this will be a nice little path into Jacob's question. If you want to mute yourself, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks, Warren. Um, and, and thank you, Josh, for your time uh, during your uh, beers today. I, uh, I haven't had your coffee one before. I, I really love a good coffee stout yeah. and it just it's delicious. Thank and you, I think thank all you. these, it's the quality of the coffee that's one of the biggest things. And you've yeah. always put good quality coffee in. So, uh, and also, just make a quick comment. Your um, your uh, Johnny Smoke Porker Porter that was um, in the Lark Barrels last year. I had that at Norton's, and it was delicious. I kept going back until it ran out. So, yeah. so, so I'm saving that for now, and I'll have it a bit later so I can fully enjoy it. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, sorry, my question is uh, just given your you know fairly recent experience in China, whether you wanted to make any comments on the brew scene there. Like I was there about eight years ago and it was a little un- undercooked of handful of places in Shanghai and Beijing run by expats, but locals were getting interested. But do you feel the local demands also picked up as a kind of add on to that question? Yeah, definitely in, in the years, um, the year or two before I arrived and I, I can't really talk too much about since, since COVID, since I returned, but um, it was starting to boom. And if one of the reasons that I was sort of sold on the China experience was that when it boomed in America, you saw really like a percentage, like what was it, five, 10% increase, you know, it was 1%, then it was suddenly 13% of the beer market. Uh, same as Australia. And if you if you take those numbers and you put them in China with China's population, um, that's a big increase in craft beer. Um, so it, it's definitely started started to um, 2018 to 2021 started to get really popular, uh, and Beijing in particular. I sort of see Beijing and a lot of the expats that I was with. We we compared Beijing to Melbourne, um, being that it was the beer capital of China. It was the coffee capital. It was the live music capital, um, and. Shanghai, on the other hand, is probably a little bit more business and money oriented, so it's more like Sydney. Um, but Beijing was fantastic. There was craft breweries popping up, and at Jing A, where we were speaking, Wilson uh, works at now. They've they've opened up, I think, their third or fourth brew pub in the last couple of years. Um, in fact, it was Stone Brewing that were opening up a brew pub in the CBD, um, and then they pulled out, and Jing A swooped in, and, and they they opened up their brew pub there. Um, That's a fascinating little story. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not just Beijing. It's it's um, all around China. Um, there's craft brewers popping up everywhere, doing um, more modern beer styles. Not just there's, there's still plenty of those sort of old school um, brew pubs that that just um, pull beer out of tank at day five, and they have the yellow beer and the white beer and red beer, but. Um, there's more and more interest in in real modern craft beer now in China. Do you see some export opportunities there? Um, yes, and again, I don't know the current climate. Um, I actually I'd met Scotty before, but I actually also met Scotty in China. 
Um, he went over there for an international beer festival. Um, and the Moondog guys were there as well, but I, it's got to hit me up when he was over there and I helped him out at a festival. He was selling some beer and uh, we actually went for a beer with Jinghe as well. And I think that sort of sort of started the relationship for where we are now. Um, but definitely in China and Asia, there is a market for um, for Australian craft beer. And, and we've got options now, not just in China, but in, in other parts of Asia, um, Singapore, Japan, where um, a lot of uh, Aussie brewers are now opening the door for. Yeah, good question, Jacob. I Thanks. think that was a really good answer too, Josh. Uh, yeah, really fascinating insight. Um, all right, and finally, for the moment, we got James. Um, James wants to go back to the idea of uh, wild forbid and barrel uh, and blending and and all that wonderful stuff we often talk about. Um, James, did you want to unmute and ask your question? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Warren, and thanks, Josh. It's been great hearing more about Wolf of the Willows. Um, um, I guess I could broaden the question a bit more. I mean, hmm. one of the because you talked about hygiene in the brewery and about how important you don't want all of your beers to end up Brettanomyces beers. So, had you thought about collaborating with someone else who does that more routinely in a different facility, or perhaps I could broaden the question to you: Do you have any collaborations on the go? Um, yeah, great, good question. I Wolf, we're always collaborating. Um, whether it's with the first chair or the Imperial JSP, we've also done collaborations with Mork, uh, Mork Chocolate, that is, with um, St. Felix, with Patient Wolf. Um, so collaboration is a big part of who we are as a company. Um, I have sort of thought about the idea and I did sort of sneakily mention there might be some stuff in Barrel that we have that's been there for a few years and we're not quite sure what to do with. Um, I thought about the collaboration step. It's just sort of um, whether a it works for both parties and whether the beer itself is actually good enough um, to to be sold under both brands. So um, definitely something I I think we're keen to to look at. But uh, a lot of things that sort of um, factor into that as well. As someone who loves like really funny kind of obtuse branding opportunities. Uh, <laughs> Patient Wolf and Wolf of the Willows, what was your collaboration? Um, so we used Wolf Blood. Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> um, no, we. it was actually our Gab's Festival beer this yeah. year. Um, we, had, uh, we had some sour barrel ageing in Patient Wolf Chin Battles. Oh, yeah. yep. um, so then we, we brewed a fresh uh, kettle sour and we blended that barrel in. Mm-hmm. We added uh, Lasbury, Key Lime, and some of Patient Wolf's uh, Slow Gin, which was yep. their summer release. Um, and that was called Paradise Bound, and we released that for Gabs. And there's still small amounts of that available at the tap room. Um, but basically, yeah, it's just a beautiful um, dry sour with raspberry, lime, and plenty of, like, gin botanicals. Mm-hmm. Um, being a slow gin, you get sort of, like, cranberry sort of flavours through there as well. So really tasty wow. drop. Yeah, that sounds delicious. I think um, one or two years prior, just as I was starting, there was another gin sour that we released with Patient Wolf. And they, at that stage, they took their battle back and they did release a 
beer barrel aged gin. Yep. Um, that didn't happen this time around, but yeah, so we've got a good relationship with them as well. Awesome. Look, I'm going to start to move towards wrapping us up, but we've had such a good time this afternoon and I'm personally going to keep sipping away at these beers. Uh, we've got a tasting pack that has eight fantastic beers from you guys in it uh, and I'm looking forward to working my way through all of those. But, I mean, I keep, keep coming back to revisit these ones and seeing how they're going to change. Um, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing some of that. We'll stop recording. You might be able to sit around and have another beer with us in a second, but... The most important thing we should round off with is the social media uh, that we can follow the beautiful Wolf of the Willows beers on, Lark and everything else we can figure out for ourselves. But please share that and let's uh, wrap up for this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Like, please um, please follow us on Instagram and um, jump on our website if you want to grab any more beers. Come visit us in our tap room. Uh, open from three, uh, 3 o'clock on Friday. You say this with uh, great confidence. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Three o'clock on a Friday, um, Saturday and Sunday. Those those hours might change as we um, enter summer, spring and summer. Uh, I think we're looking at opening a tap a bit earlier on a Friday to allow us some end of year events and stuff like that. We come down, try our beers. Um, we've we've regularly got new beers coming out, and there's a couple of new core range beers which will be uh, popping up in the next few months as well. So. Um, yeah, keep an eye out on our socials. That sounds wonderful. We'll come and do that. If we don't come uh, as a collective, we will come individually. Uh, Josh, you've been incredibly generous with your time on a Sunday afternoon. We know uh, head brewers are busy people, and so we very much appreciate the fact that you've been able to join us here. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, everyone who's joined us live in the Zoom room. And uh, for everyone else, make sure you follow us on the Facebook uh, and the Instagrams at the same time that you're following Wolf of the Willows. That way you can find out about all of our events as well. And uh, until next time, goodbye, Josh. Goodbye, Warren. Thank you, Bye, David. Thanks, Josh. Cheers.